extra points for being here New Year's Day. Schwab, is that part of your background? I'm not sure. But anyway, I'm not sure you get any extra points, but thanks for being here. What a wonderful way to start a new year that is worshiping together as the body of Christ. I hope and trust that everybody had a wonderful uh, Christmas time. I know not all of you got to experience snow like I did, but the last eight days, four of the last eight days I spent in the Suburban with five kids and our big 100-pound dog, Burley, uh, driving to Colorado and back. And I only lost my Christ-like attitude once. So that's either uh, probably getting more spiritual, more sanctified, or it's getting easier. The kids are getting older. I don't, I'm not sure which is which. But we had a wonderful time up there. Every other year we gather uh, on the Conejos River in southern Colorado where my grandfather built a cabin in the 20s. And we, we clear all the snow off the river, which is frozen over. And we have a four-hour continuous game of hockey which is basically we don't wear skates. We just have snow boots and any stick we can grab. And it's a wild, crazy time with a bunch of Irishmen. And nobody got hurt this year, so it was great. And, uh, and, then we, and, and that's the day after Christmas. And the day of Christmas, we, we uh, as a family, invade uh, Monta Vista First Presbyterian Church and had, really just had a wonderful time of worship. It just was a wonderful time. As, uh, and I hope you did have that same kind of experience. And today is a new year. And uh, it's a wonderful time to uh, to hear God's word and to respond to God's word. So let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. As we enter into your word, we pray that it would enter into us, that it would change us, encourage us, challenge us. And most of all, lift up your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and live. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter two. Uh, This is the account of the presentation of Jesus at the temple. Uh, The setting of this is actually six weeks after the birth of Jesus. So Jesus is uh, six weeks old. Uh, If I can remember, at six weeks, the babies are starting to grab things and they're starting to coo. So Jesus is, is cooing and grabbing his mom's fingers. And and this is the setting because at 40 days, uh, Jesus had to be presented in the temple because he was a firstborn child. Every firstborn male child had to be uh, brought to the temple to be redeemed. Five shekels. But basically the law stated that uh, every male child, firstborn male child, had to be consecrated unto the Lord, set apart unto the Lord. And this was what Mary and Joseph were doing this day. And you'll see it's going to be quite a convergence between the spirit calling Simeon and Mary and Joseph obediently following the law and this wonderful convergence at the temple. Let's read. Starting at verse 22. And the when the time it came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, And and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in all the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? If I was going to uh, create a movie about Jesus' life, I would really want this scene, actually two scenes, this story. It's kind of overlooked, but to me it's really kind of a marvelous story. If I was going to start this, I would have Simeon, maybe played by the guy that plays Gandalf or one of those guys, you know, kind of serious, holy looking and and has that, that spirit about him. I would start in his home in Jerusalem, laying there in his bed, the sun, morning sun coming through the window, just kind of streaked across the floor of his room and just coming up to his face. And you, you see a, a, a lying Simeon there. You think he's asleep until you get a close-up, and he's just staring straight at the ceiling. He's been up for a while. Okay, He's an older man. They get up a little older. And so he's there. And then I would have maybe just listening in, Simeon saying a prayer something like this. Lord, your grace and mercies are forever. It has been 400 years since your servant Malachi proclaimed your truth to your nation, Israel. And yet you gave me a word by your Holy Spirit when I was a young man that I would not die until I saw the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. May it be this day, and if it is this day, May I be able to welcome him. And then I'd pause and I'd have Simeon reminding God that he's getting old. <laughs> you know, he doesn't doubt God's promise, but I'm getting older now. He spent his whole life, think about Simeon, he spent his whole life with this promise from God that he would see the Messiah. I would think that would change your life and my life if we knew that that that, that special insight, that special revelation was given to us. Well, it did affect him because Simeon was, it says he was righteous, all right, and that he was devout. Righteous, that means he was, he was clean living and it had a life of integrity among his peers. And he was devout in his faith, sincere, authentic in his faith with the Lord. Well, anyway, I'd have Simeon there, maybe roll out of bed and, and, and start his day like he started every other day. Maybe even some fried fish and nuts and putting on his robes and maybe heading out the door to visit whoever he was going to visit that day, walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And it's just another day in Jerusalem. And then I would have just a small, still, quiet voice say to Simeon, go to the temple. And Simeon stopped in his tracks there. He hasn't heard this voice in decades. And he's thinking, what you're thinking, like this could be the day. And I would just kind of get a close-up and maybe see him trembling a little bit, unsure, was that it, not sure, and, and then maybe having him mumble to himself, is, is this the day? 
And then that voice coming back to him, this is the day. And then you can imagine maybe the, the wonder, the fear, the, the, the excitement in his face. And maybe he turns towards the temple and starts walking slowly. And maybe he raises up his, his, his robes and maybe even see, I maybe even have him running towards the temple. I don't know. But, you know, just hurrying, scurrying off to the temple with excitement and enthusiasm and with expectation, right? And then he comes into uh, the temple and he walks into the middle of the temple and he stands in front of the east gate because Scripture tells us that the Messiah will come through the eastern gate. All right? So he's sitting there facing the, the eastern gate. And then he hears a voice that says, Nicanor, the gate of Nicanor. And he goes, oh, okay. So he retreats back into the temple proper, past the court of the Gentiles, into the temple, up to the steps that lead up to this big gate called the gate of Nicanor. And that's where uh, the firstborn males would be presented in Israel. He didn't know this. He wasn't putting this all together. He just knew that's where he was going to go. And his, his Simeon means, his name means, one who hears and obeys. And so he was led by the Spirit to that point. And then you can just see him gazing down the gate, through the gate, looking, wondering what's going to walk through that door. And I'm sure he's like a lot of the disciples were. They were probably, he was probably in his mind expecting something uh, just, just out of this world, light, uh, uh, the, the son of David, maybe coming in, in, in from the sky or just walking through there. I, I'm sure he was expecting a political figure because his disciples did. The disciples of Jesus did. That was common, the common expectation uh, of the Jews that this, this Savior, this Messiah, would not only come and spiritually lead them into salvation, but politically that, that the, the land would be restored, you see. So I don't, he was just looking for, I don't know, you know what he was looking for, but he was looking with great expectation, and I'm sure with just a little bit of fear and trembling, because he was a holy man, a devout man, and he was about to see the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. So I'd paint a picture like that. And then I would go back, and I'd flip right into a new saying, and this would be six miles away in the town of Bethlehem, and uh, a ramshackle, maybe uh, a, a little apartment in the back of a back of a back of a house, just a shack. Maybe past the, they got out of the stable and found a little place to stay f- for the next couple weeks, six weeks. And I would have a young couple there, Mary and Joseph, getting ready, pulling together what shekels they'd saved up for the presentation of their son. And they would have a few few other shekels to buy the pigeons for that were needed for the purification of her because she had to go to the temple after 40 days because uh, the female was unclean for 40 days. So simultaneously she was going to present baby Jesus for the redemption of him as of the law and she was going up to, if you will, be cleansed 40 days, six weeks. And so I would have them pick up Jesus, head out, and as tradition would have it, I would have... A Mary riding maybe on an ox or a donkey, something that would keep her above the ground, that, that it would keep her, her uncleanliness away uh, from the ground as they walked to the temple. And then I would just have them as the, the, the Jerusalem is buzzing and big city, almost like small town folks coming to big Houston, you know, just humble people walking up the gate through the eastern gate, through the gate with Jesus. And I would have them coming over to the temple through the, the main gate up, towards the steps uh, to the stage, uh, the steps of Nicanor. And then, and then I would go back to Simeon, right? And Simeon is gazing, and he sees out there, and he sees this young couple, young bride carrying 
a baby, and he knows immediately it must be a boy, must be 40 days, coming to present this child unto the Lord. And he probably thinks in some sentimental way, isn't that wonderful, this young couple being faithful in the faith and presenting this child. And he would just maybe look past them and they would just continue to walk because they didn't really meet his expectations. And then he hears the voice, the Messiah. And immediately his eyes gaze straight at the baby and he's just stunned. The Messiah is, is in the form, is, is this babe. And he's trying to put it all together and he's stunned and, and he's overwhelmed and he didn't, he's, he's not speaking. He's just fixated on Mary and, and, and carrying the baby Jesus. And Mary is coming up the, the steps to the, the gate of Nicanor. And, and, and all of a sudden she looks up and she's a little startled because this Gandalf-looking Simeon is staring right at her, right? And yet she gazes into his eyes. And immediately she knows that he knows what she knows, Right? And without a word, Simeon, you got to understand, Simeon, you'd have to, you'd, this is his telos, this is his raison d'etre, this is what he's been living for, this is his whole purpose in life, is to see the Christ, and you can just see him just, it, with permission and reverence, just reaching out to, to hold baby Jesus, right? And you can see Mary just passing Jesus, uh, trusting Simeon, and Simeon grabs this, this child. And can you imagine? Okay. Simeon holding God in Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. And he holds this child. And then after a period of time, and I think it probably was a period of time, as he just just wondered and worshipped at, at, at the idea that <laughs> the, the, the irony and the wonder of being able to hold the Messiah, your own Savior. He says these words. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As he's holding up, he's singing this song. He's singing this prayer. He's presenting this child, you see. And then he reaches down and he hands the child to Mary. And after this praise, he gives a prophecy. And the prophecy starts in verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what he said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So what we have here is we have a response from Simeon. We have a praise or a song from Simeon. And then we have a prophecy from Simeon. I'd like to start with the, the praise of Simeon. And kind of unpack that a little bit. Uh, he says, Lord, now, uh, sorry, sorry, in verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. What he is saying here is that I have seen the consolation of Israel, I have witnessed the Savior. 
You see, he did not know at that time what Jesus would do to save the world. He just knew he would do it. He didn't know how sin would be taken care of. He didn't know anything. He knew this baby embodied and was God's might, God's holiness, God's mercy. And just like Abraham of years past, he placed his faith in the promise of this Messiah. Uh, Salvation, righteousness was accredited to him. Same, same thing that happened to Abraham happened to him. And he was assured of his salvation. And so that's what he means here. For my eyes have seen your salvation, the hope of Israel, that is the Messiah. And then he says, prepared in the presence of all peoples, which really is kind of shocking. Because what he's saying here is this, this child is not just for Israel. This child is for all people, all nations. And you see, Jesus fulfilling this praise and maybe his last words on earth when he said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You see, the gospel, the truth, the Messiah, the Savior is for all nations. And that's part of this praise prepared in the presence of for all people. And he says here, this is really the shocking part, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon was saying this light, the Savior was for the Gentiles. You think about the first church. They wrestled with, is this for the Gentiles or isn't it? I mean, it, was, it took Jesus three years to prepare Peter's heart and Paul later on in the ministry to prepare this gospel for the Gentiles. But Simeon here is, is saying, no, 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 this Savior is going to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles. This gospel of Christ is for all people. Especially in that sense, and it's for the Gentiles. And, and, and Jesus validated this throughout his ministry, talking with the Samaritan woman. Or maybe that event, remember uh, when he went back to the temple and he got the cords and he cleansed the temple. You remember that? You know what, where that was in the temple? That was in the court of Gentiles. See, that, that court of Gentiles was prepared by God's providence for people, Gentiles, non-believers, to come out and check out what the faith was about, to hear the word read, to see how the Jews worshipped, to see the sacrificial system in place. It was there so they could have a first-row seat to say, hmm, this is what Judaism, this is what the God... See, the, the God of the Bible is not quiet. He is not silent. He proclaims... Uh, uh, his truth throughout all of history in, in a public setting. It's not a mystery religion. It's open. It's public. Yes, it's personal. He's my savior, your savior, but it's a it's a public faith. You see, to be to recognized and to be proclaimed among all people. You know, at Grace Bible Church, we we welcome people to come in and and and, and to listen. We don't change what we do. We don't change the way we worship. We don't change the way we do things. We don't change the way we do discipleship. But if you're an unbeliever, you're welcome into growth groups. You're welcome to come in and worship with us and, and to look. And see, this is important because this, the, the light of revelation is for the Gentiles or the unbelievers or the uncircumcised. And then he says here, and, the, and for the glory for your people Israel. This is the last part of the praise. For, and for glory to your people Israel. I think we have to remember, if we're serious about God's glory... Uh, that God's glory was manifested paramountly, most, most brilliantly, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
at Christmas, we, we concentrate on the person, Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation. At Easter, we concentrate on the work of Christ. But both the person, Christmas, Easter, are there to glorify God, this person and work of the Son of God in Christ. And that's what he's saying here. And so it's almost a wonderful praise, anticipating the, 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 the gospel that was to go and turn the world upside down. And yet he wasn't done with this praise. He, he even gave a special prophecy for Mary. And I'd like to read that prophecy one more time and just unpack it briefly. He says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, here in this prophecy, first of all, you have a stone, a stumbling block that people are going to stumble over. And Jesus is known as the stumbling block, the one that, that they would stumble, the, the cornerstone that re- was rejected, that Israel would stumble over. And, and what causes stumbling? I mean, what, what causes you to stumble as you trip over a toy in the hallway, <laughs> which I often do, or stub your toe as you walk through a dark house with, with thing, kids' stuff around? You can't see. You, you don't expect that thing to be there, and you stumble over it. What caused the stumbling of Israel is that is they didn't expect the Messiah to look like Jesus. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. You know, the difference between what you expect and what you get is what? Pain, right? You know, you expect something and you don't get it. You suffer pain. And, 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 and Jesus produced a lot of pain for Israel at first because it didn't quite square up with the Messiah. And, and you see that, that theme throughout Scripture. The disciples wrestled with it. Judas wrestled with it, and, he, and he, he went to the other side because of it, to be honest with you. All right? And, 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 and it's just a problem throughout Scripture as Israel. But it says here, the hope here is that many will stumble, then rise up. Yes, initially, many will, will, will stumble over God and Christ, but then they will see, ah, he is the revelation of God's mercy. He is the revelation of God's holiness. And once they see what he does on the cross, they will rise again as they look to what he did on the cross. And that's what he's saying here in this this stone. And then he says a sign, a sign that will be opposed. See, signs in the Bible are there not for uh, wonder, not for uh, like God showing off or anything like that. Signs in the Bible are there to point to a truth. And at Christmas, we have all kinds of signs. You probably already know that. There were many signs that came about at Christmas time that pointed to Christ, the virgin birth. Okay, the prophecies concerning where he would be born, Bethlehem, and on and on and on. And so all these signs are pointing to Christ. And what, what this prophecy is saying is that these signs will be opposed. Well, we know they're opposed, right? We live that you go to a store, you, you say some, you talk to somebody, and, and and this is a holy time for Christians. Its origin is the person Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, I know culture takes over, and commercialism, and all that stuff takes over Christmas. But really, that's what it's about—the person of Christ. You know that I'm preaching to the choir. But yet, it's opposed when when someone just says Happy Holidays. Now, they may be honest. 
Because I don't expect a non-Christian to worship Christ, and it would be almost hypocritical to celebrate Christmas if you weren't a Christian, but that's a whole other point. But my, my, the point here is, is that people don't want to really consider the virgin birth or the prophecies or all the signs. Listen, folks, there will be nobody that stands at the throne of God at judgment, and, and they can't point to thousands of signs in creation, through the Scripture. In, I mean, they're everywhere. Okay, God is, is there and he's not silent. He's put these signs out there everywhere. Okay, and they point to him and all these signs will be opposed. That's what it's saying here. And then he says, very interesting. He says, and then and he's a sword. He gives a, a prophecy about a sword. And he says, Mary, this will pierce even your own soul. That is, the words of Christ, the word of God, when he speaks... That his word is, is just like, just carries the same power as the written word. That it divides bone and marrow, judges the thoughts and hearts of men. And Mary's going to be um, open to that same judgment from her own son. That her son will speak that so much truth that it will even pierce her own soul. And I think that happened probably at the cross when she was at the foot of the cross. And she saw the redemption and what... what what she was so blessed to carry and to be a mother of, and, and, to, and it just pierced her. The sorrow, as well as the forgiveness, as well as the truth of that moment, you see. And this is the prophecy that Simeon is giving, a grace, if you will, to Mary. Now we have one more thing we need to cover, and that is Simeon's response, which is really interesting. It comes at the beginning of this passage. I'd like to read it to you. Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It's, it's interesting that, that this response comes at the beginning. Okay? Because you, you always... Re, uh, it's, it's interesting because it becomes at the beginning. But usually, most of the time in Scripture, when God reveals himself, the response is always after the revelation. In fact, it's, it's a prerequisite. It's, it's a demand. It's a requirement. When God reveals himself, this is a biblical truth, archetype truth. When God he reveals himself, he demands a response. Now, that response may be apathy. That response may be yes, Lord. That response may be no, like Pharaoh. No, no, no. And his heart got harder and harder and harder. Or it may be yes, yes, yes. And the heart gets softer and softer and softer. But here, the response comes at the beginning, you know, which is very, very interesting. Um, Going back, Simeon holding the, the living word, Jesus, the Messiah. He was holding in person the revelation and combined with the promise of God and seeing the Messiah, his first response out of his mouth after he handed back the baby to Jesus was a response to this revelation, this, this holding of Jesus. And what did he say here? I'm going to paraphrase it here. He said in Scripture, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. A good paraphrase is, I'm so happy I could die. You ever heard that phrase? I'm so happy I could die. I don't think anybody ever believes that, but it, it does express something. But, but Simeon did believe it. He, he, at that moment, he's saying, I'm assured of my salvation. I'm holding the treasure of my life. I've seen the Messiah. My life is fulfilled. 
Lord, let your servant depart in peace. This word depart means an untying of a ship and letting it sail off. He's saying, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go home. It's like a prisoner being let free. I'm, I'm, I'm good. My life is blessed. I fulfilled my mission. And God, your grace is so good. I am so happy I could die. What Christmas gift would you need to receive that you could say, man, I'm so happy I could die? I mean, in high school, it would be like a dually, four-wheeler. You know, I'd be like so happy I could die for about a day or two, you know, or maybe it's a new house. Uh, maybe it's the dropping the, some weight, getting in shape, or this or that, and all okay things. But there's really nothing in this life, really, that you could receive at Christmas or any time. That you really could say, I'm, I'm so happy, I'm so blessed, I could die. Paul has that same tone, it's interesting enough, in the New Testament when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. He, Paul's saying, I, I'm ready to go home, but I guess I'm supposed to be here. I, I, I'm blessed. Either way, I'm, I'm good. And it was that kind of faith, it was that kind of satisfaction in Christ that turned the world upside down. You see? I'm so happy. I could die. I don't know what resolutions you have for this year, and I'm sure they're all good. We could go through it. And, and it is a time. It is natural to start a new year and say, I'm, I'm making resolve to this end, to this goal, uh, to meet this requirement, educational, physical, spiritual, uh, relational, to, 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 to forgive and be forgiven, to, to finish this or to, to serve or use my gifts and treasures. and t- All that is totally natural, and you totally need to do it. but with one exhortation and one encouragement. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are reserved for those whose principal resolution, whose paramount resolution is, is to be satisfied in Christ. For those who treasure Christ. For those who hope in Christ. For those who have faith in Christ. Those who love Christ and those, those who find their salvation, their hope in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this new year. We, above all people, in the midst of world chaos and wars and finances, we can be hopeful we, we, because we've received the gift that satisfies us. And I pray this year as a person and as a body of Christ that you would grant us, by your mercies and grace, faith to find deep, wonderful, joyful satisfaction in the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that that would make a difference not only in our lives and in this church, but this world for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
got this uh, uh, birth announcement from the Hortons about Junebug, June Marie, and he has a verse on there. When I read it uh, today, uh, I said, man, this is the perfect, uh, perfect benediction. This is from Romans 11:36. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. May uh, we as a church live in the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ in 2012. Thanks for being here and have a wonderful week. Thanks. Yeah. What is that? What is that? Joy. There you go.